It is Thursday, November 3rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 9 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. Jared, I got my chair pushed back against the desk behind me to, just to make sure I don't slouch so we can go head first into this Week 9, which is what Brandon Cooks is apparently not going to do. <laughs> the latest report now is that he's not expected to play against the Eagles on Thursday night. I think the injury he's listed with is feelings. Yeah, that was sad to see. I was, and uh, Paulus Arrow reported this morning that the Rams and Cowboys made offers for Brandon Cooks. I would have liked to see him go to either of those spots. But, um, I mean, we'll see what happens going forward. I mean, I think you should plan on not using him tonight. I think he was a shaky fantasy play anyways in this matchup, um, even if he did end up playing. Hopefully we get him back um, at some point this season. We'll see how that goes. But um, that, that obviously makes the Texans passing game totally hands-off in fantasy. Yeah, uh, Nico Collins was already out in case that would even matter against the Eagles. The thing that's frustrating about the situation, like from the outside, obviously we have no idea what anybody from the team has told Brandon Cooks along the way. But just logically, if you're hoping this much to be traded, why would you sign an extension which necessarily gives more leverage to the team you're hoping to leave? And hurts the leverage of any team trying to acquire you not to mention your leverage in getting out of town like he doesn't have any choice at this point other than to come back to the team or to sit out completely which would then return him next year in basically the same situation yeah at the same time I think it would have made sense for Houston to see what they could get for Brandon Cuss because he is well like 29 years old now I mean he's you know not 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 a long-term building block at this point so it doesn't make sense on either side to me just the reports are the team would have had to pick up like 60 to 70 percent of his salary for next right. season so if you're doing that and getting I don't know a third round pick fourth round pick whatever teams were offering like we saw Amari Cooper who was probably in a pretty similar situation with Dallas we, he had the big contract ahead of him um, he was obviously an accomplished receiver. He went to Cleveland for basically nothing. So if Houston's option was, yeah, we'll give you a fifth round pick and you have to pay most of his salary next year, then I also would have been like, screw that. We'll just keep Brandon Cooks. When did Cook sign that extension? Was it super, it was super just recently? before this season? Okay. So, I mean, it was after all the Sean Watson stuff happened. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah, and it was after all the trade rumors. Like, we're all sitting there waiting for the announcement that the Chiefs have acquired Brandon Cooks. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, Brandon Cooks just signed a two-year extension with the Texans. Like, all right, I guess <laughs> no trades happening. Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense overall from here. Obviously, the missing piece is, you know, nobody knows what the Texans were saying behind closed doors to Cooks about his likelihood of getting traded or whatever. But it's it doesn't make logical sense from this vantage point. So. Switching back to the fantasy side, we do have that Eagles at Houston game. Eagles by 14 in this one on the road, uh, over under 45. I, I mean, we'll see if that line goes anywhere with Brandon Cooks out. I'm not sure he moves the line at this point. Really, Jared, the only danger on the Philly side from a fantasy standpoint in this game is that the Eagles just take over this game yeah. so quickly and by so much that it limits pass volume. We've had less than 30 pass attempts from Jalen Hurts in three of the past four games. Yeah, and the Texans right now are, are on pace to have the worst run defense DVOA since Football Outsiders started doing that 15 years ago. And if you watched that that uh, game versus the Titans last week, my, my God, Derrick Henry would get eight yards downfield before getting touched, and then he'd you know run over three defenders for another 10 yards. It was pathetic. So I I mean t to me it, the game plan's pretty easy for the Eagles. It's going to be a run heavy attack. You know, and, and Jalen Hurts will be part of that. I think he's going to be fine. I do think this could be a game where you get limited volume for the wide receivers and for Dallas Goddard. 
I mean, and, and we'll talk about this throughout the podcast, but six teams on by this week, like it's pretty, it's pretty tough out there. So you're obviously still starting EJ Brown, Devontae Smith, I still think is a you know wide receiver too this week, but don't be surprised if like you said, it's, you know, a 25 attempt game from Jalen Hurts tonight. Yeah. Devontae Smith's the only iffy one. I think you kind of have to start Dallas Goddard. You're starting AJ Brown every week, just be, based on where you drafted him. Devontae Smith's the, the shaky one. He's been under 45 receiving yards in each of those three games that I mentioned where Jalen Hurts didn't throw at least 30 passes among the past four, still five catches, five plus catches in three straight games. So He's getting the ball. It's just a matter of whether it gets there enough. It also a matter of how far down the field he gets it because the past three weeks have produced the three shortest average target depth for Devontae Smith this season. So, you know, let's hope that that regresses. It, it, it will need to. He'll need to get the ball thrown further down the field if he's going to produce for us. He was over eight yards in dot each of the first four games this week, this year, 14.9 dot for the season last year. So, I would guess that it's more of just like a weird stretch than some kind of change in how they're using him. And ultimately I'm probably using Devonte Smith in like a wide receiver three range this week. Yeah, his volume just been solid. I mean, even last week, um, you know, AJ Brown obviously had the big game, but Devonte Smith trailed him by just two targets. Smith got eight targets in that game was a 27% target share. He's averaging um, about seven and a half targets per game this season. So I um, mean, you're right about the eight out, you know, Brown's getting the, the deeper looks, but I think Smith's, uh, you know, share share of the passing game has been big enough that I'd feel pretty comfortable using him tonight. Yeah. So he's at 23 in our PPR rankings. I, I think if you look from him down through, and it gets pretty ugly after that, like exactly down, <laughs> him down through Rondale Moore at, at wide receiver 27. I think all those guys are pretty fluid beyond that. I don't think there's anybody else that I would really play over Devonte Smith this week. Yeah, he's a wide receiver three going forward, and that's where he'd be if we didn't have the six teams on by. But again, um, you know, it's it's slim pickings out there. Yeah, you mentioned the run-heavy, likely approach from Philly. I mean, Miles Sanders has become basically a weekly play unless yep. you're stacked. Uh, you don't worry about Jalen Hurts going into a good matchup. On the Houston side, really not a whole lot to talk about. Brandon Cooks not playing, most likely. Um, Damian Pierce, even though it's a terrible matchup for running back volume, he's still ninth in our running back rankings. And, I mean, Houston kind of has to give him the ball in this game. Yeah, it's not that bad of a spot for Pierce, despite his team being, you know, 13 and a half point underdogs. Um, I still think Houston's going to feed him as much as possible. The Eagles have actually just been at like an average run defense this season. They're giving up 4.9 yards per carry to running backs, and they just lost Jordan Davis. They're, you know, massive um, interior uh, run defender. So that helps the, the matchup for Damian Pierce, too. I actually bet the over on his 64 and a half rushing yards. I think we have him for like 76. He has appeared in our underdog top plays article five times, including this week, this was the fifth time, the previous four times he hit the over three times. The only time he did not hit the over was week one, which obviously we're guessing on his carries that week. And that was the game where afterward Lovey Smith's like, uh, we should have given him the ball more. And ever since then they have given him the ball more. So every other time he's appeared in that article, he's hit the over he's in there this week. So, you know, do with that what you will. And if you haven't seen it yet, go to draftsharks.com. It's a free read. You don't have to be a DS insider to access that. Let's move away from the Houston Philly game before other people get Brandon Cook's level sad. And we'll go to Chargers at Atlanta. Chargers by three in this one, over under 49 and a half. It's the second highest game total for the week. It hasn't moved since the Keenan Allen news, at least last I checked. And the news on Keenan Allen is his hamstring issue got worse over the bye week while he was working out. And he says he doesn't want to play again until that hamstring is all the way back. That sure sounds to me, Jared, like we should not expect Keenan Allen to play in this game. 
Yeah, that's our expectation now. We took him out of the rankings yesterday. Mike Williams is going to miss this game as well, unfortunately. I mean, it's such a great spot for Justin Herbert in the passing game. I think you have to lower Herbert expectations a little bit. The matchup's so good, though. I mean, Atlanta, 30th in football outsiders pass defense, DVOA, 30th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. They, you know, they just let, Atlanta just let P.J. Walker throw for 317 yards on 8.8 yards per attempt. So even with these uh, wide receiver injuries, I feel pretty good about using Herbert this week. Yeah, this is actually going to be Justin Herbert's first game, assuming uh, that Keenan Allen doesn't play. It'll be the first game of his career where he doesn't have either of those guys. There was another game where both of them barely played, but this will be the first one without them all together. It looks like Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter is the top two wideouts. I mean, that puts Josh Palmer squarely in play. It makes DeAndre Carter like a sleeper level play. He's still mostly projection because we really haven't gotten that much from him this year outside of the one touchdown Back in week one, Michael Bandy looks like the third one. Six <laughs> targets for Michael Bandy against Seattle last time out. One catch for minus five yards. <laughs> yeah, then it'll be Jason Moore as their fourth wide receiver. So, I mean, he's a guy from the footballers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right. Paul, you know, Palmer hasn't been good this year. If you look at his PFF receiving grade, his yards per route run, which you know, makes him a bit shakier to, to trust this week. Like the volume's going to have to be there. The matchup is so good. Atlanta's 31st against wide receivers. And, you know, Palmer's sitting in like wide receiver two range in our rankings this week. I, I think if you have him, you're probably starting him. Yeah, Josh Palmer is somebody I would play over Devontae Smith this week. I mean, certainly Smith could outscore him, but Palmer yep. has a an easier path to targets this week. Yep, that's fair. Gerald Everett should be in a good situation this week as well. 16 targets for him over the past two games. And Atlanta is just, it's cake for everybody. It's a birthday party. Five catches in each of those past two games. Five catches in three of his past four games. So pretty safe. He will have to contend with Donald Parham likely coming back. He was practicing Wednesday following a missed game with a concussion. I mean, it could be a game where both of those guys deliver usable fantasy numbers. Yeah, and Austin Eckler, you know, should be in for another, you know, potential double-digit target game. Um, Everett's route rates were sub-60% in each of the Chargers' last two games. One of those came with par and one was without. So that that's something to watch going forward. But, like, with both these wide receivers out, uh, I think the Chargers are going to have to make Everett a big part of their passing game this week. So I think, I think he's a strong fantasy play in this matchup. And only making the matchup better. There's still no A.J. Terrell at practice for the Falcons on Wednesday. He, of course, is their lead corner. On the Falcons' side, offensively, so Atlanta started this season 6-0 against the spread, which we've mentioned on here before. They are 0-2 against the spread the past two games. Chargers, 4-3 and against the spread on the season. Four of their past five games have gone over. I'm not sure that I'm willing to bet the over in this game, though, with that high point total and with those missing Chargers receivers. What do you think, Jared? Yeah, it'd be a stay away for me. I could see it going over. I wouldn't bet the under. Um and I, I mean, the game plan for Atlanta is going to be clear, right? I mean, they want to run the ball anyways. The Chargers are not good against the run. Um, so I think, you know, they're going to try to bleed clock, run run the ball a ton. Um, CPAT might be back this week. Cordero Patterson was active or is designated to return from IR yeah. on Wednesday. It makes him eligible to play on Sunday. We'll see if he's ready. If he's good to go, I think, you know, he's going to step back in as their lead back. And the fact that he's just designated to return and not officially active yet means we're not going to see him on the injury report. So we're not going to really know the specifics of his status in each one, but we'll certainly be watching to see what they say. We have had two straight Falcons opponents go over 30 points, by the way. So that, that only helps here. Kyle Pitts got there for us last week in fantasy. Finally, why is he only ninth in the PPR rankings at tight end this week, Jared? 
I mean, it took a 32% target share for Pitts to get there and a game that went to overtime. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not projecting the Falcons to throw as much as they did last week. I can't project Pitts for a 32% target share. So, you know, to me, he's still, you know, the, the mid-range, low-end tight end one with, with the upside to do what he what he did last week. So he's a, he's a fine play. Just don't be surprised if he goes back to, you know, getting four targets on, on Sunday. Jared, I don't – maybe your parents never told you this, but you can do anything that you put your mind to. Don't limit yourself. <laughs> okay. Marcus Mariota, okay streamer for all the reasons that you just listed for Kyle Pitts. Last week was just his third game of 20-plus fantasy points on the season. It's the first time getting there without a rushing touchdown. He had four straight games of less than 150 passing yards before last week. So ideally, what you want for Mariota, what you want if you have Kyle Pitts, is for the Chargers to jump out to a big lead in this one. And... Still, the Falcons would have to not go with the Bengals game plan of still <laughs> trying to run their way back into it. So, you know, all in all, it's just not a good offense to bet on them deciding to throw the ball. Right. That's the thing we saw in the Bengals game. Even if they do fall behind, they're going to keep running it as much as possible. Drake London's not so much an option for this week. His route rate was 90% last week, though. Did get five targets, did get four catches, did get average depth of target. It was 11.6. That was his highest since week three. Those are all things that you could point to and say there's some room for him to rebound. He also has not reached four catches and 50 yards in the same game since week two, and he's done so twice in eight games. So I bring Drake London up primarily because I'm still seeing questions from people. Do I drop Drake London? Do I hang on to him? He, I think, is somebody that it's okay to drop for something else. It's also okay to hold because if at some point Atlanta's like, all right, we got to throw the ball more, it's going to involve Drake London. But I'm not scared right now to drop him and miss out on something big the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I think he's droppable. I think the only way Atlanta throws it significantly more is if they kind of realize their season's over, turn to Desmond Ritter and just want to let him throw it enough to get an evaluation on him. Otherwise, I don't think this offense is going to change. Yeah, and I mean, I think even in the scenario where he comes in, it's hard to imagine them being like, yeah, now we're going to throw 30 plus times every game with our rookie quarterback because we don't care about protecting him. Right. Green Bay at Detroit Packers by three and a half over under 49 and a half. I am hesitant, Jared, to trust a 26 and a half point implied total for the Packers in this game. We have, however, had five of seven Lions games go over their total. Only three of eight Packers games. Now, Aaron Rodgers obviously is a key here. The Lions defense is bad at everything, which is why you get the high implied point total. And Aaron Nagler, one of you know the top Packers people on Twitter, um, a guy who's been following and, and talking about the Packers for a long time. He says Aaron Rodgers is playing better lately. I'm not sure that that's really true overall. His He didn't impress against the Commanders or the Jets or the Giants the three games before mm-hmm. Sunday night. He did look excellent for like 27 minutes in that Bills game once Green Bay finally was like, oh, crap, we're not going to have a chance in this game unless we throw the ball. I had no idea it was getting so late. Then he looked awesome for like, you know, 10 minutes, but that was it. Yeah, I thought he played better in the Bills game, but you bring up a good point about how run heavy they were in that game. They were minus 13% in pass rate over expected, which to me, that kind of should be their game plan going forward. I mean, Aaron Jones is their best off- offensive player. There's still lots of question marks in the wide receiver core. Um, so to me, that that's the downside risk with Rodgers this week is that Green Bay is just as likely to just run it all over Detroit as they are pass it all over Detroit. I think they can have success in both departments. Again, this Lions pass defense is really bad. Five of seven quarterbacks to face Detroit this season have finished top 11 in fantasy points on the week. So that's kind of what you're betting on with Rodgers. I do think he's like a fine low-end quarterback one this week. 
I think he's fine at the low end. Um, you know, he should be he should be fine for us this week. He's not going to hurt you. I just I don't know that the ceiling is there this year. And I do think that there is some ceiling to that run game this week. You know, like I said, Lions batted everything. The Packers want to run the ball this week. We know Aaron Jones is in the starting lineup for mm-hmm. fantasy teams that he's on. I think there's upside to AJ Dillon in like RB3 range this week. Yeah. He quietly rebounded his playing time last week against the Bills, 5.4 yards per carry across 10 carries in that game against Buffalo. So he's just been like yo-yoing in recent weeks. He was down against the Giants in opportunities, back up the next game against the Jets, down against Washington, back up against Buffalo. There shouldn't be any reason for them to make A.J. Dillon disappear in this game, though. Yeah, again, Dillon still got out-carried 2-1 to one by Aaron Jones last week. 20 carries for Jones, 10 to Dillon. I kind of think that's the split we should project going forward but again you know this is another game where green bay could run it three times total between those two backs so you could get you know eight to 12 carries out of aj dillon and he should be efficient on those carries and he's a decent touchdown bet with the packers sporting the the high implied total so yeah especially with all the teams on by i do think dillon is okay if he's your rb3 or a flex play this week Romeo Dobbs, very nice touchdown catch at Buffalo. Solid line at the end of the game. Four catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. It was the first time since week three, though, that he cracked 50 yards. Yeah. Alan Lazard limited at Wednesday's practice. Um, so I, I, I'm i ultimately trying not to use Dobbs this week. It's okay if you need to. I think Dobbs might have saved his season last week because he started that game. The Packers started with Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson as their top two wide receivers. And Watson without, went out with a concussion, and that's when Dobbs you know, became basically a, a full-time player the rest of the game and had, I think, you know, one of his best games in a while, at least, you know, caught, caught the impressive touchdown. So we'll see what that means for his playing time going forward. Watson did not practice on Wednesday. So I, I'm guessing he's going to miss this game. If Lazard remains out, I think Dobbs is a decent wide receiver three play in the matchup. If Lazard's back, um, I think Lazard, you know, steps back in as the top guy and Dobbs becomes a bit shakier. Yeah, I agree with that. Aaron Rodgers was also limited Wednesday with that right thumb after sitting out the past three Wednesdays, the previous three Wednesdays for that injury. So it sounds like that is getting better, at least. Robert Tunyon still somebody that I think people need to not get carried away with, even in a positive game, like positive outcome PPR wise, was still at 65% route rate against the Bills. Um, he has one game all season of more than 36 receiving yards. 20% target share for Tunyon um, in that game against Buffalo, though. Um, he was at 11% the week prior, but 27% the week before that. So he's averaging 7.3 targets now over his last three games. Um, he's 10th among tight ends and expected half PPR points over that stretch. So he's getting decent usage, despite their outright still being a bit lower than we'd like to see it. And Detroit also bad against tight ends, 31st in adjusted points allowed. Football Outsiders has them dead last in tight end coverage. So I do, I do think Tunyon is a, is a decent uh, week nine spot starter. The game where he got those targets, though, were both games where they fell behind by double digits. I mean, they, they were even behind by more than the 10 they lost by to the Bills, and they lost to the Jets by 17 in the other one. So to me, it looks like Tunyon's a play if you think the Lions are going to jump ahead in this one. Otherwise, I just don't think the bottom's there. Well, he has a 20, 20% target share combined over the last three weeks. So yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't need was week seven against Washington. I, I said he was 27%, 11%, 20%. So he's been, you know, 20 plus percent target share too the last three weeks. Yeah. And the two games where they got blown out, but that's target share. It's not total targets. No, I know, but he wasn't in that range in the game where they were close is what I'm saying. Okay. I mean, I, I think you're talking about total pass volume. I'm talking about share of the pass volume, which that doesn't didn't, really change. But didn't you say it was 11% against Washington? Yeah. Yeah. So he was 27% in the game that they got blown out. He was 11% in the close game. He was 20% in the game where they were getting blown out. So you're saying if the Packers are going to throw out more, Tunyon's target share is going to drop? 
No, I'm saying if the Packers are going to pass more, that's where you play Tunyon. If you expect them to beat the Lions, then you should not expect Tunyon to be a good play. Okay. I mean, I, I, I listen, he's a decent touchdown bet with the Packers high implied total. Yeah, he's got, what, one of those so far this season? I, I just think I think Tunyon's overrated because he has popped up twice and because there's nothing to rely on in Green Bay. I think there's a haste, in, like, there's haste to make him an option when he really hasn't been overall. Yeah, he'll move down our ranks a bit if uh, Lazard's back because we still do not have Lazard projected in right now. On the Detroit side, I mean, DeAndre Swift is tough to trust right now. There's a level at which you kind of have to use him, but the Lions have told us he's not all the way back. Like, that's literally what Dan Campbell said. It's like, he's playing, he's not back. So that helps Jamal Williams. It hurts DeAndre Swift. I I mean, I'm not really sure what to do with Swift overall other than to say I'm glad that I don't have him very much. Yeah, just five carries and five targets for Swift last week. And then, like you said, Campbell came out and said we gave him too many carries last week um and then swift did not practice at all on wednesday after being a full that was the thing about last week he was a full go and practice all week and was not on the final injury report and then he's still limited and campbell says you know he he's not back to 100 so that that's frustrating um it doesn't seem like he's in any better shape this week um, i mean he, he still came through for you last week if you used him with the receiving touchdown he still got the five targets um and, and this should be a run heavy game plan from the lions as they want to do anyways but green bay is 31st in football outsiders run defense dvoa so that's probably more of an argument in favor of jamal williams who you know, i think at this point is a pretty clear favorite to lead the lions and carries this weekend yeah he's a solid to good rb2 play in this game i think swift swift is like CEH, but his team actually likes him. So like they want to give him the ball as opposed to wanting to give other people the ball. It's just his body limiting it. So it's tough to get him beyond RB2 range. So you ultimately probably have to use him in most cases. I'm on Ross St. Brown's not really worth talking about. Jared Goff is outside of starter range for this one, unless the team falls way behind, which I'm not betting on happening against these Packers. Brock Wright, Jared, is that somebody we need to talk about? He's the next tight end on the Lions depth chart. He was also out Wednesday. He's in the concussion. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Brock Wright and then James Mitchell, who's their fifth round rookie. He, he's kind of an intriguing prospect. He, he tore his ACL uh, last year and missed most of that season. So, you know, still got the fifth round draft capital. Um, didn't test pre-draft, but I think you look at his, you know, he averaged 16.1 yards per catch at Virginia Tech. Also had five rushing touchdowns. So he seems like... I think he would have tested as a, you know, well above average athlete and seems like a catch first tight end. So he's interesting. I mean, you're not trusting either of those guys in lineups this week. I think they're probably not even worth adding outside of like FFPC leagues. Um, but, but we'll see. Cause Hawkinson does leave behind a 17% target share. A, a lot of that could just go to the wide receivers and, and Deandre Swift. Maybe I don't think um, either of those tight ends is going to come close to that level of volume, but um, it, it'll be worth uh, monitoring this week. And, and you know, if, I'd say if Brock Wright doesn't play with that concussion, I think Mitchell's someone to maybe consider in DFS lineups. Mm-hmm. Khalif Raymond, somebody else who could kind of pop up for more target share than you expect. But the the Packers are solid at cornerback, so this doesn't look to me like a game to try to chase big upside um, at wide receiver for the Lions. Yep, agreed. Miami at Chicago, Dolphins by five, over under 45 and a half. Both QBs from this game sit inside our top 10 this week. Tua doesn't need much of a sales pitch. He's got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. He's coming off a big game. Justin Fields is also coming off of two straight top six fantasy finishes, four straight in the top 12. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, and Lamar Jackson as fantasy entities this week. Maybe not. I mean, I think, um, I don't know, Fields definitely has a better rushing projection than Kyler Murray. I still think he's a 
worse bet as a passer, but his passing volume and his rushing volume is up over those last four games. He's averaging 23 pass attempts per game, which is not a great number, but it's up from 16.8 over those first four games. Then he's averaging 10.5 carries per game. That's two more than he averaged over the first four games of the season. So Fields is actually fourth among quarterbacks and expected fantasy points over the past four weeks. So he's getting the opportunity to, to produce fantasy points and he's delivering on that. Um, also, this is a Miami defense, as we've talked about that. That's not very good against the pass. So I don't think that's going to push Chicago much further towards the pass and away from the run, but you know, maybe a, a little bit, which can't help Justin Fields. Can't hurt. Well, him. The other key here is that Chicago is, is designing more runs. They're running him on purpose more than Arizona is Kyler Murray. And they've just made other changes to the offense to make things look better over the past two weeks. You know, it is just two games. Last week was a blowout loss. So offense can look better when you're way behind. And the other team is just making sure that you don't catch all the way up, but they've made changes, which is key. That's what we were looking for from this team. One change since the last time they played is trading for Chase Claypool. Now, we'll see if that means that they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. I don't know if we see the full effect of that, whatever it is this week, you know, will it, when it will have been less than a week since Claypool joined the team, certainly at least adds some passing upside to Justin Fields going forward. He, of course, those two games that I mentioned where he finished top six, ran for a touchdown in both of those games. Now, no matter how often a quarterback is running, I don't know that it's ever likely that he's going to score a rushing touchdown in a given game. So if he doesn't score that touchdown, it's a much different stat line at the end. But, you know, altogether, Justin Fields is at least somebody that we can start fairly confidently right now, as opposed to somebody that just a few weeks ago we were like, I know the talent's there, but I'm not sure that they can find it. Yeah, he does have eight carries inside the 10 and six carries inside the five. Um, both those marks are second among quarterbacks behind only Jalen Hurts. So, again, he's getting – that's part of the reason he's so high in expected fantasy points over the past four weeks is he's getting those goal line chances. So, I do think, you know, as far as quarterbacks go, he's, he's a pretty strong uh, bet for a rushing score. Solid matchup this week. Has Detroit next week. Has Atlanta the week after that. So, you wow. should want to have Justin Fields right now. Bad finish to his schedule, though. By week in week 14 – then he gets the Eagles and then the Bills. Week 17 at Detroit. So if you have him until that point, maybe he's somebody you're starting in a championship week. But, you know, just be aware of all that going forward. Justin Fields' passing has actually gotten a lot better. has gotten better lately. I shouldn't say a lot better, but he topped 70% completions twice in the last four games. So like I said, things looking better in general. Outside of him, though, it's probably just the backfield that we're looking at. I don't think they've gotten to the point, like you mentioned, with the passing volume that we're playing any pass catchers for the Bears. We'll see about the impact of Chase Claypool. The backfield, though, has gotten interesting because Khalil Herbert has gotten more involved the past two weeks, even though he was not playing nearly as much as David Montgomery last week. Yeah, that, that was a strange one because you, you look at the box score and you see Montgomery at 15 carries and three targets last week, Herbert 16 carries, zero targets. And, but then you look at the snap rates, 70% for Montgomery, just 28 for Khalil Herbert, 68% of the routes for Montgomery to 11% for Herbert. Week, as far as playing time goes, the week seven when Herbert got close to Montgomery looks like the outlier. Otherwise, it's still been like, you know, a 70-30 split in terms of snaps in favor of Montgomery. But they are, you know, getting Herbert the ball when he's on the field. So I, I, I still prefer Montgomery as a fantasy play, but I do think you can, you know, probably count on like 10 to 12 carries for Herbert weekly going forward. Yeah. Herbert's somebody that you can use if you need to um, for sure this week, Raheem Moster disappointed last week because he was in a great spot against the soft Detroit run defense, but it was game flow. His team fell behind 17 in the first half. He averaged 4.6 yards per carry. So it was a fine game efficiency wise only got 14 carries in that game though. 
He does have five straight games now of 14 plus carries. Only six running backs have more total rushing attempts over that span. Um, there are some four game players behind him. So he's not that high in carries per game, but just three of those six guys ahead of him in total carries over the past five weeks are also ahead of Raheem Mostert in targets. Now put all that together. Raheem Mostert's a pretty good touch bet right now in an offense. That's pretty good. Yeah. We got to see what the swap of chase Edmonds for Jeff Wilson means. Um, the, the more I think about this, the more worried I am for Raheem Mostert's volume. And, you know, he might, it might not happen this week, although, you know, Wilson is obviously familiar with this offense. He, you know, played you know under Kyle Shanahan with Mike McDaniel in San Francisco. So maybe he does come in right away and play a big role, but you know, I think you think about what Miami's backfield looked like early in the season. And it was you know pretty much close to a 50, 50 split. I kind of think that's what they wanted it to be. Chase Edmonds was just so bad that they kind of had to turn to Raheem Mostert. And Jeff Wilson's been good this season. He's actually been better than Raheem Mostert by a lot of metrics. So I'm super curious to see what this backfield is going to look like going forward. Again, I would not be surprised if it turns into like a 60-40 split in favor of Raheem Mostert or even closer to 50-50. It is a great spot, though, for the running game this week. Teams going run heavy against the Bears. The Bears not good against the run. They trade Roquan Smith. That's not going to help the run defense. Um, so I do think you can still – trust most this week but again i'll we'll keep a close eye on what the split's going to look like going forward yeah and of course if we look back to san francisco where mike mcdaniel came from we see a system that doesn't want to overload any individual running back and it certainly makes sense just from a maintaining your offense standpoint to not overload a single running back so i would not i would expect jeff wilson jr to get more going forward than chase edmonds got before the trade mike isecki uh, helped us out a couple times then his route rate dropped last week <laughs> Jared, nothing obviously changed significantly that you would point to and say oh that's why his route rate dropped last week the thing that's kind of working in the background that might be related here it's probably related to some degree Durham Smythe his snap share has been down the past three games Mm -hmm. Uh, he missed one game within that span of the past four weeks that the playing time overall is down versus where it was in the first four games has been dealing with a hamstring injury so perhaps Durham Durham Smythe getting healthier here is cutting back into Mike Gusecki's work. Yeah, I feel like I got lucky with Gusecki last week. I you started him in a few leagues, used him in DFS, got the touchdown. But like you said, the route rate was down uh, sub 60%, just four targets for any 11% target share. So I, I don't really want to push my luck with Gusecki anymore, especially in this matchup where you know I don't think it's going to be a, the shootout that we got in Detroit last week. So I, I think with the Gusecki, it's going to be it's more of a game plan thing with Miami. Like some game, some weeks they're going to game plan him more into the passing game, and some weeks he's going to you know be less involved. So that that makes it tough for fantasy to know when to use him. Las Vegas at Jacksonville Raiders by one and a half here on the road over under 48. We got Darren Waller limited Wednesday. So that's good news compared to where he's been a lot of weeks with that hamstring issue. Mac Hollins limited with his heel issue. Devonte Adams still limited with his illness. So that certainly seems like another signal that he was nowhere close to fully healthy Devonte Adams in that debacle at new Orleans on Sunday. Yeah, that must have been a real bad case of the flu for him. To, you, don't, you don't see that. You don't see a guy still on the injury report the following week with an illness. So he's going to play. You know where orange juice is? <laughs> exactly. Um, and he, he didn't look right in that game. They, they pulled him in the fourth quarter, so snaps ended up being down. But I think it definitely was a factor and maybe a reason why the, the Raiders just laid that total egg. Um, you know, the, the, the passing game has been disappointing all season. You know, it kind of bottomed out last week, but, um, you know, Derek Carr has not been as good in this Josh McDaniels offense as, as he was the previous few seasons under John Gruden. 
Yeah, John Gruden seems like he was good for the offense. Uh, Derek Carr, QB 22 in total fantasy points for the year, QB 27 in points per game. So put all that together, makes Hunter Renfro, Mac Hollins tougher to like yeah. as even fringe plays here. Devontae Adams, you know, it's going to be in lineups, assuming that he's ready to go for this game. But you hope that he's all the yeah. way over whatever limited him last week. I would think he will be by the time Sunday rolls around. It'd be nice to see him get in a full practice on either Thursday or Friday. But yeah, Adams are starting. Hunter Renfro is droppable. He's averaging five targets per game this season. He's 79th among receivers and expected PPR points per game. He's he's just not getting the usage in this offense. Which is goofy, given that they gave him a big money extension right before the season. Yep. On the Jacksonville side, Denver was obviously a tough matchup for the offense last week, but Trevor Lawrence has issues beyond that. He's been now been under 60% completions in four of his past five games. That included home games against the Giants and Texans, where he should have been in good shape in that category. Tied for 30th in passing grade among 35 QBs with at least 100 dropbacks on the season, according to PFF. He's behind in that category. Cooper Rush, Matt Ryan, Kenny Pickett and Carson Wentz, among others. So you'll find Trevor Lawrence 14th in our rankings this week, basically just because he's facing an excellent matchup for quarterback scoring, still not inside the top 12. Yeah, couldn't you see him bouncing back in this spot though? I, I think it's, I think it's possible. The Raiders pass defense is just so bad. And, and Lawrence has had bright spots and good games this season. He's just been super inconsistent. So it's definitely more of a DFS thing. I'll probably be talking about him tomorrow as a tournament option. But yeah, I mean, like you said, even with six teams on by, Lawrence does not crack our top 12 quarterback. So you should be able to do, to do better than Lawrence in your, uh, you know, one quarterback fantasy leagues. And his only good game among the past five passing was 20 of 22 against the Colts. Yeah. And that was in a loss. So they're still like, uh, we can't throw the, we're going to do this at Atlanta style. Uh, we don't want to put Trevor Lawrence out there too much. I will say Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram are fairly easy starts um, at their positions and looking at what else is available this week. Ingram for sure. Ingram leads the Jags in targets over the past four weeks, 29 targets, uh, 20% target share. Uh, the Raiders are not good against tight ends. They're not really good against anything. They're 24th against tight ends. Um, on the flip side, Kirk's kind of been, been disappointing over the last four weeks. He trails, he has 25 targets over the past four weeks. That's behind Evan Ingram and Zay Jones, actually, who has 26 targets and Kirk has been outside the top 24 wide receivers in three of his last four games now half PPR points he's just 43rd and expected half PPR points over that span so his um his usage has been down his production has been down lately but again the matchup is good enough for I think um you know Kirk is okay to stick with this week yeah and still 17 targets for him over the past two games last week was a tough matchup for everybody did have the seven for 96 against the Giants the game before so I'm starting Christian Kirk fairly comfortably he's somebody that I would easily start over Devontae Smith this week who do we have ranked higher <laughs> I'm not even sure it's not one I looked at let me check. yeah I, I think they're similar we have we have Kirk uh, like three or four spots higher Yep. I list Travis Etienne only yeah. to say don't ask whether to start him the rest of the way he's starting He's so freaking good, and we saw that they're willing to, you know, feed him twenty plus carries last week. So he's he's set up as a top ten guy the rest of the way. Yeah, Doug Peterson goes. I don't think that uh, Travis Etienne's role is really going to change now that we traded James Robinson. Twenty four carries, <laughs> as it should be. I mean, don't waste carries on Jermichael Hasty. Indianapolis at New England Patriots by five and a half over under of thirty nine and a half this game, and that tells you how much you'll want to watch it on the Colts side. They passed underexpected in Sam Ellinger's first start, which is not unexpected. Um, they passed under expected under their expected level in nearly all situations too. Even if you break it down, you know, by downs, by distance, according to RBSDM, they were under expected for passing all throughout. 
Um, Sam Ellinger does add some mobility and he targeted Michael Pittman on 39% of his attempts last week. So, you know, ultimately it's, it's kind of a neutral move for fantasy purposes for the offense here. Yeah. And that target share is what's keeping Pittman in play this week. I mean, he's obviously not going to see a 39% target share going forward. I mean, he might get 30%, but like you said, that was a big shift in play calling for the Colts. They had been going pass heavy with Matt Ryan the past few games, and they shift towards the run in Sam Ellinger's first. So we'll see if that changes going forward as Ellinger gets more experience. But that, that was also a, a matchup against Washington last week where they probably should have thrown it more. Washington much tougher against the run than the pass. So um, I think Pittman's a wide receiver three going forward. I think they'll see enough volume to be okay if you consider him that. I don't think you're going to get more than wide receiver wide receiver three production out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very similar to Terry McLaurin because he's a good player getting target share with with bad quarterback play. I'd rather have McLaurin going forward than, than Pittman. I think they're pretty similar. I think we're still gauging what things are going to be like with Taylor Heineke, but we'll get into Washington um, in a little bit. Jonathan Taylor, we're going to have to see about the ankle this week. Um, yeah. He wasn't practicing Wednesday. It certainly doesn't sound like it's ready to go. I think they're waiting to see if it's ready enough because they want him to play if he's at least at that level. Yeah, I mean, he played through it last week. Um, you know, he's able to return with it heavily taped up, so we'll see. Um, Naheem Hines, gone from this offense. He leaves behind a little over four targets per game in his healthy games this season, so there's room for T- JT to pick up even more work in the passing game, I and mean, we'll see if the ankle's ready. I think Deion, to me, Deion Jackson is the guy you want, and they traded for Zach Moss as part of that Naheem, Naheem Hines trade. I think Jackson is the guy you'd want in fantasy lineups if Taylor misses more time. Yeah, I agree with that. And for what it's worth, I think Sam Ellinger probably a negative for running back target share um, versus what Matt Ryan was for them. Not only yep. because, you know, mostly because he's mobile. Yeah, I agree. On the New England side, Damian Harris, no practice Wednesday because of illness. We'll see how he progresses through the week. But Ramondre Stevenson was already working clearly ahead of him. So it only makes Ramondre Stevenson that much stronger a play. Top 12 running back across formats for us this week. Jacoby Myers, also a top 24 wide receiver across formats, even non-PPR. You look at Jacoby Myers, you think, (laughs) yeah, I'll play him in PPR and I'll forget about him otherwise. Sitting 23rd in our non-PPR rankings this week, Jared. Well, he's averaging 10.3 targets on a 31% target share in his three full games with Mac Jones this season. I think, uh, you know, it's small sample stuff, but I think if you're a Myers owner, you want Mac Jones in there, not Bailey Zappi. Zappi hasn't targeted at Jones nearly as high of a rate. So good usage for Mac Jones. Good matchup here, too, against Kenny Moore in the slot. He's been bad this season. You look at PFF coverage grades, you look at, you know, yards allowed in coverage. Kenny Moore has been near the bottom of the league. So I think it should be another, you know, relatively busy game for Myers. Mm-hmm. Tyquan Thornton, the playing time's nice. He also has just eight total catches in four games. I think the ceiling for him here is a number two pass catcher in a run leaning short range passing game with a QB who's not playing very well. So like yeah. it's somebody that can be rostered in deep leagues. I have a hard time imagining Tyquan Thornton playing a prominent role in fa- in deciding fantasy leagues this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, Devontae Parker is going to miss this game with a knee injury. Um, but, you know, helps Thornton a bit. But mostly I just think it, you know, makes Myers a better target. But Buffalo at the Jets. Bills by 13, over under 47. Can't say that I'm ready to bet them by 13 if they can only beat the Packers by 10 points <laughs> at home. The Bills do carry the largest implied team total this week, and they're three and a half points ahead of anyone else on the main slate. The Eagles and Chiefs are closer than that to them, but they're both in primetime games this week. The Jets defense, though, Jared, is no joke. Eighth in total DVOA, eighth against the pass, eighth against the run. 
I'm not saying worry about your bills and consider sitting guys that you would otherwise be starting, but yeah. I am saying don't be surprised if the bills don't go crazy in this game points wise. Yeah. The Jets fifth in defensive DVOA over the last four weeks. So they're getting better. Yeah. I'm a little surprised the bills are implied for so many points. I guess, you know, that that's, that's the bookmakers telling us to, to respect this offense. Don't worry about matchups too much. So yeah, you're starting Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and, and Gabe Davis. I think Dawson Knox is a fringy guy. His, Route rates have been great the last two weeks, 80 and then 79%, but he still seen just six total targets in those two games for a 9% target share, um, which is kind of what we saw from him last year. Like he was out there, but his target shares weren't great. He just, it's tough for him to, I think, draw those targets when he's competing with Steph Diggs and, and, and Gabe Davis and these other guys. So um, I still think Knox is, is uh, mostly like a touchdown reliant fantasy play, but he, he's always a good touchdown bet in this offense. Yeah, I would play Dawson Knox over Robert Tunyon because I think he's a better touchdown bet because of their respective offenses. Better touchdown bet. I do think Tunyon's a better target bet, though. Disagree. Uh, biggest question for this team is the backfield because they just added Naheem Hines. Obviously, they acquired Naheem Hines to lead the backfield in receiving. Otherwise, why get him? Yeah. And it's been something they've been trying to do since sometime last year. He has performed worse as a rusher than Devin Singletary by multiple measures this year. Also trailed Singletary in that category last year. So I think probably we're seeing some kind of split between these guys, which is going to make it tough to extract a yeah. whole lot of fantasy value from either one. Yeah, I, I know our buddy Adam would disagree, but I do think Singletary is a better runner than the Naheem Hines. I expect him to remain the lead runner here, but that, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot in this offense. Um, 59% of Devin Singletary's PPR points this season have come from the passing game. So if he loses most of that, he's going to be a guy you're probably not going to want to be starting in fantasy lineups. I do think Hines could become interesting in PPR leagues. Um, Singletary, actually, he's sixth among all running backs in pass routes, and he's tied for 13th among running backs in targets. If you know Hines can just pick up that and be a bit more efficient with it, um, I think he could be interesting. For, for this week, I, I don't know how ready Hines is going to be to play a significant role, so maybe you can still use Singletary in lineups this week. Um, but there's, there's risk if, if, again, if Hines comes in and takes most of that pass catching work, that's going to leave Singletary without much fantasy value. Yeah. Tough to really like either of these guys. You can see it when the team gets close to the goal line too, where they're like, if Devin's, they give Devin Singletary a carry at the goal line and it fails, they're like, well, that was a waste of a down. Let's just leave <laughs> it with Josh Allen. The rest of the way other teams would be like, all right, let's pound it again. We'll get it in this time. But they're like, nah, that's enough of that. We've got a, a bigger running back already throwing the ball and then he can toss it. He can fling it over <laughs> defenders to uh, Dawson Knox if that door is closed. <laughs> On the Jets side of this one, it was nice to get nostalgic with Garrett Wilson last week. Remember the <laughs> days when he was helping our fantasy teams. I would sure try not to use him this week against yeah. Buffalo, though. Yeah, he had finished outside the top 40 wide receivers and half PPR points in five straight games prior to last week. So, you know, last week looks like a blip. I'm sure I'll have a couple more nice games the rest of the way, but I think there's going to be much more disappointment than, than quality games. Yeah, it's going to be like unpredictable stuff. He'll be fine for best ball purposes, but it's going to be tough to say yep. this is a Garrett Wilson game because if it's a game where it's a bad enough mismatch for them to fall behind, it's probably a defense that they're not going to fare awesome against. I'm certainly not betting on many more 300-yard passing days for Zach Wilson. Tyler Conklin was also emergent, re-emergent last week, also faces a tougher matchup this week, although his matchup would get better if linebacker Matt Milano cannot play for the Bills, he missed practice Wednesday with an oblique injury. Uh, Sean McDermott called him day to day, so we'll see. If there's no Milano, I think Tyler Conklin becomes 
a fringy type of tight end, like in Dawson Knox territory. Yeah. Great start for Conklin to the season with Joe Flacco. Then he, he's kind of disappeared and he was like splitting snaps with CJ Ozoma in weeks five and six. And then the last two weeks, he's back up to 76 and 72% route rates, 23 and 24% target shares for Conklin the last two weeks. So, you know, if he maintains that level of usage, he's going to be usable. Um, I guess you can trust it. Like you said, the matchup is tough here. I guess I'd, I'd rather not use Conklin, but I, I do think he's probably going to remain you know, the lead pass catching tight end ahead of CJ Uzoma moving forward. Yeah, I would certainly prefer not to use Tyler Conklin this week, but if you're hurting and looking for somebody, I would play him over Mike Gusecki. I'd play him over Noah Fant. Uh, yep, I'd play him over those two guys. And I would rather have him on my team than Logan Thomas. Me too. Michael Carter, RB2, basically just on touch volume. You're not touting him as a strong play, a strong bet for fantasy points this week, but he played as much last week as the other two Jets running backs combined. We'll see if that changes this week. Yeah, I think this is about the level of playing time you're going to get from Carter. He played 56% of the snaps, ran her out on 47% of the pass plays. Um, seven carries, but the Jets only had 14 total RB carries, so a 50% carry share from Michael Carter. Got seven targets, 17% target share. Like, And that, you know, that usage made him 14th among running backs on the week and expected fantasy points. So, you know, he was 34th in actual fantasy points. He's going to continue to be – inefficient and especially this week against the bills but yeah usage wise i think you're going to get you know top 20 level usage out of them yeah not a good matchup packers did at least have a very big rushing day against buffalo last week so we know it's possible wouldn't bet on it but it's at least something that that can happen that's because aaron Um, jones is awesome (laughs) yeah that's for sure yeah we also got 5.4 per carry from aj Dillon. so Carolina at Cincinnati Bengals by seven and a half over under 42 and a half. A little tough to bet on the Bengals beating somebody by eight after the way um, Monday night went. But, you know, the week before that was a lot different too. Sam Darnold. I'm going to start it there. He says he's close to 100% here, Jared. I'm not sure it's going to matter unless P.J. Walker face plants, though. I was going to say, I mean, not that Walker's playing great, but he's playing better than Darnold did last year and better than Baker Mayfield did. Yeah, exactly. That was a freaking unbelievable throw to D.J. Moore to uh, to – should, should have been the game winner, ended up being the game tire. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Walker is playing well enough and targeting D.J. Moore enough, 38% target share for D.J. Moore over the past three weeks with P.J. Walker. Um, that, you know, it makes, makes Moore a pretty comfortable fantasy start at this point. It's nice to be at that point because I wasn't sure that we were going to get back to that point this year. Certainly, I didn't go into P.J. Walker's first start saying, phew, they yeah. solved the issue for D.J. Moore and I can use him now. So it's it's nice. Deontay Foreman is going to be tough for anybody to sit this week, but we're going to have to see about Chuba Hubbard return to practice on Wednesday from the ankle injury. I would, I hope that we also hear from coaches, you know, not only waiting to see if Chuba Hubbard's going to play. I hope that we hear from coaches, like what the plan is, at least as far as who starts in the backfield, because it was Hubbard before the ankle injury. Right. And I'm sure it'll go back to some type of committee. I think at least in the short term, though, that Foreman should remain the leader. I mean, he was awesome last week. And I get it was Atlanta. They're going to make running backs look better. But Foreman looked great to me. PFF had him uh, fifth among 50 qualifying running backs in rushing grade last week. So I I would expect him to remain the leader. Maybe that means like 15 or so carries if Hubbard's back this week. So I think, you know, that keeps Foreman in the, you know, lower end RB2 mix. He only saw the one target. Last week, but he didn't run her. He ran her out on 68% of the pass play. So if he gets, you know, that level of usage in the passing game, and that, that'll probably go down if Hubbard's back this week. But I do think, you know, Foreman's not a zero in the passing game. He might give you a catch or two. Yeah, it's pretty close to a zero in the passing game. We'll see too. Like, I think at the very least, 
the way he ran last week is if you go into the game with a healthy foreman and Hubbard still trying to get through his ankle injury, it certainly makes sense for Carolina to lean on Deontay Foreman as the lead runner for the game. For sure. Terrace Marshall playing time mm-hmm. spiked the past two weeks with Robbie Anderson gone nine targets at Atlanta, not betting there's an impact in redraft, but yeah. you know, at least the team was like, all right, Robbie Anderson's gone. It's time to play Terrace Marshall. Yeah. Nice to see him getting a chance and delivering last week. I mean, I think last week was the Atlanta matchup more than anything else, like start wide receivers against, against the Falcons. Cause even Terrace Marshall can have a big game against them. But um, I mean, he, he, he's a prospect to be liked and it's just his second NFL season. So you know, maybe it's starting to come together for him. He's worth adding in, in deeper leagues. Um, I think I'd need another Falcons type matchup to actually consider using Marshall in a, in a fantasy lineup. Yeah. I doubt he's going to be truly startable this year, but you know, it is a coaching staff change as well. So perhaps the new coaching staff is like, we're going to get this guy on the field and see what he can do. At the very least, it's worth noting for dynasty because he might well have hit waiver wires in dynasty. Mm -hmm. In some cases on the Bengals side of this one, Jared, I think we kind of have to throw out the past two weeks of Bengals game (laughs) because they're not likely to be as good again as they were against Atlanta two weeks ago, probably better than they looked against the Browns on Monday night as well. I mean, even the final was kind of inflated by them scoring toward the end of the game. Most of that game was just ugly. So I'm throwing those two out. I I say you're probably starting Tyler Board. You're definitely starting T Higgins. You're definitely starting Joe Mixon. You're definitely starting Joe Burrow. Man, I was saying some nasty stuff about T Higgins during that game. On, uh, that was the Monday night. Yeah. Monday night. Cause I needed him in a couple spots and that late touchdown got me two wins. Um, so I'm, I'm back in love with T Higgins. He came through for me. I mean, losing Jamar chase obviously hurts Joe Burrow. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was in that game last week. The good news Cincinnati stayed pass heavy. They were plus 12% pass rate over expected last week. Not quite as high as like the 21, 23% they were the previous two weeks, but they stayed pass leaning even without Jamar Chase. I, I think Burrow is going to be fine. Another nice matchup here. The Panthers are 27th in football outsiders pass defense DVOA. Yeah. And Jamar Chase also is not on IR yet. So that says at least that the team is hopeful he can get back inside of those four weeks. So I certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't be dropping him in fantasy leagues. I also don't think I would be trading for him unless you can really get him for very cheap. Cause you know, the other side of that is Maybe he is back sooner than the team initially reported or we were hearing, but maybe he's never full Jamar Chase the rest of the season. So there's definitely risk regardless of how long he's out. Yeah, a lot of the doctors we follow seem to be surprised that Chase hasn't landed an IR yet and that you know, even that he might be back in like four weeks just based on the report of what the injury is. I mean, they obviously haven't seen the injury themselves, but it, it seems like they're a bit skeptical that that he'll be back and, and be effective, you know, within the next few weeks. Hayden Hurst, Carolina's the third best coverage matchup for tight ends by DVOA. So he's another one of those guys that you can play this week if you don't have, you know, an every week starter. Yeah, just four targets last week and 11% target share. But I think, you know, he's capable of a game where he gets, you know, 18, 20% of the targets while it chases out. So I think Hurst is a, is a decent play. Minnesota at Washington Vikings by three and a half over under 43 and a half. Check our fantasy points allowed page in the Intel tab on DraftSharks.com. You will find that the Vikings are friendly to quarterbacks. They're friendly to wide receivers. They're friendly to tight ends. They're seventh toughest on running back scoring. That doesn't matter as much for this matchup because Mm -hmm. Brian Robinson has already been not doing a whole lot other than taking handoffs and keeping them for a few seconds. He already looks to me like somebody that you can drop, like not somebody that you should go ahead and drop for whatever's available now. But, you know, I keep getting questions like, should I drop? Uh, this guy, this guy, whatever. I would rather have Rashad White 
or AJ Dillon. Just like I would rather trot those guys out there as fantasy starters every week right now than have Brian Robinson on my roster. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dylan for sure, and White and PPR, I'd rather be using him than Robinson. I mean, Robinson is a zero in the passing game. I mean, he, he ran around just 8% of dropbacks last week. I think he has like one or two targets on, on the season total. He hasn't been efficient as a runner. He, he's he's a touchdown or bust fantasy play, and he's not a great touchdown bet in this offense. Now, the positive matchup for the passing game, you know, it can make Taylor Heineke a streamer if you need him. <laughs> Obviously, there's going to be risk anytime to playing Taylor Heineke. We've seen the Vikings sack quarterbacks a whole lot in recent games. So I would like to not have to use Taylor Heineke, but Terry McLaurin fairly comfortable uh, fantasy starter right now. Yeah. 16 targets for McLaurin. He has eight in both of Heineke's starts over the last two weeks, 25% target share. That's, that's about where he was target share wise last year with Taylor Heineke. So I do think that's sustainable. Uh, McLaurin 11th among all wide receivers and expected fantasy points over the last two weeks. So I, again, I think, uh, I think Heineke's basically saved Terry McLaurin's fantasy season. One might watch this and especially with Terry McLaurin getting the long touchdown two weeks ago, you might say, Oh, Taylor Heineke takes shots downfield. He works better with Terry McLaurin than uh, Carson Wentz does, who was working with Curtis Samuel. Taylor Heineke's ADOT is actually shorter through his two starts and Carson Wentz's has been this season. It's also shorter than Taylor Heineke was last year. He's throwing deep less so far than Carson Wentz was when he was in there. He's also doing so less effectively. So it's really just a matter of improved target share for Terry Mm -hmm. McLaurin, um, you know, versus the Carson Wentz time. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Watching the game just seems like he's chucking downfield more than than Carson Wentz did. But um, yeah, I mean, again, like you said with McLaurin, if he's going to get a, you know, target share in the mid twenties. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be someone you can start every week. Of course, the other side of that target share thing is it's coming away from Curtis Samuel. And he's the kind of guy that if there's target share uncertainty or the target share dip, it's especially harmful because he needs target share to generate fantasy points. Cause he's working much shorter range. The team has also been working him more as a runner lately, <laughs> five and four carries the past two games, zero carries over the previous three games. Yeah. The, the rushing has been saving him. He's actually finished, uh, wide receiver 29 and then wide receiver 34 over the past two weeks. So he's still been a wide receiver three, 19% target share for Samuel so far from Heineke. So not a horrible number. It's down a few percentage points. What he'd been seeing from Carson Wentz. It's, it's, it's shaky. If he starts to lose that rushing value, I mean, you really can't count on four or five carries a game out of a wide receiver. If he starts to lose that, um, you know, he's going to fall out of the wide receiver three ranks. And that's a range in target share where if Terry McLaurin's getting that, you're like, yeah, we'd like it to be better, but at least he has that big play upside. If you're right. getting that and you're a short range receiver, that's just, that's barely usable territory yep. for, you know, 12 team leagues. For sure. JD McKissick, no practice Wednesday with a neck issue. So that could help keep the ball in Curtis Samuel's hands on the ground. We could see more baby Debo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Antonio Gibson, we should mention too, um, you know, led the backfield last week in opportunities. He had seven carries and seven targets. Actually got the first four touches of the game, too. So it wasn't just like, you know, Washington's playing from behind and they're going to get Gibson out there. They, Gibson started that game and they wanted to get him the ball early. Um, and, you know, he, 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 he just – he looks better than Brian Robinson. I don't think Robinson's going away. I think they want to mix him in on the ground, but I do think, you know, at this point, Gibson's pretty clearly the best fantasy bat in this backfield. Yeah. I would guess that they have to have seen enough of Robinson so far to be like, okay, he's not an upgrade rushing over Antonio Gibson. We need to make sure that we keep Gibson getting the ball plenty. He tied McKissick for the the lead in snaps among Washington running backs last week. So I would expect him to get a decent size role going forward. I don't expect a switch back and that's probably better because Gibson yeah. is more effective since 
giving up some playing time and touches to Brian Robinson. This is the role I think we all envisioned for Gibson when they drafted him, right? Like, you know, get him seven to 10 carries per game, get him five or six targets per game. Like that, that's kind of what he should have been all along. On the Minnesota side, I, I don't know how much there is to talk about. The main guys are usable. Like Kirk Cousins is a starter this week. It's a good matchup for him. Washington much tougher against the run than the pass. That's similar to last week, but it's probably even more of a split than the Arizona defense was for Minnesota. So it should be a pass-leaning game for an offense that is willing to lean pass. The big question mark is TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, so with Cousins, this is actually his third straight game like this where he's facing a team that's been much tougher against the, the run in the past. So it was Miami uh, before the bye and then Washington last week – or sorry, Arizona last week, Washington this week. He disappointed against Miami. He was good against Arizona. That, I mean, he got the rushing score, which propped it up. Um, so Cousins is averaging just 6.6 yards per attempt this season. That, that's, that would be a career low if it holds. So he's kind of been underwhelming. I do think the matchup puts him in play this week. Hawkinson – Total guess how big of a role he's going to play this week. He's going to, you know, have what two practices with the team. I don't think he was able to practice yesterday. Um, longer term, I think it's an okay landing spot if he gets comfortable in the offense and, and is able to play a full role. I mean, he's going to an offense that's going to throw more. You know, Minnesota's throwing about three times more per game than the Lions are. I, I'm not sure Hawkins is going to maintain his target share that he had in Detroit. He was seeing 17% of Lions targets that might be tough to maintain with just Justin Jefferson on the field. Um, but again, it might, it might be sort of a wash. I think Hawkinson's going to remain like a mid to low end tight end one the rest of the way. And just to clarify, that was three pass attempts more per game, not three times as much as the Lions are throwing. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Seattle at Arizona Cardinals by two, for some reason, over under 50 and a half, the biggest line of the week, Jared, I'm starting on the Seattle side because Geno Smith was NFC offensive player of the month. Trustworthy fantasy play here. You wonder about the ceiling, but the matchup yeah. is good for him. Arizona fifth, most friendly to quarterback scoring. Um, also positive now for running back scoring. So maybe that helps Seattle keep it on the ground more, but if we look back to the first meeting between these two teams, which was just three weeks ago, that might feed into the idea that we don't have a whole lot of ceiling from Geno Smith. There were some missed opportunities though. Um, he was twice sacked on third down in the red zone, which led to field goal attempts. Uh, Kenneth Walker was stopped on a third and two inside the 10, which produced another field goal. Kenneth Walker scored from the 11 yard line on another drive where they got there with five completions and six plays to start the drive. So Geno Smith could have easily had a better fantasy day in that one than he did because of the lack of touchdowns. Yeah, he did run for 48 yards in that game, which is nice to see. I mean, if he scores a touchdown or two, he's going to be a top 12 quarterback on the league. So he's a, he's a solid fantasy player. I know we're going to talk about the Seahawks defense and how much they've improved. Arizona's defense has improved too. If you look at uh, football outsiders DVOA, they're actually 13th in total defensive DVOA. Over the last four weeks, 13th in pass defense DVOA. I think this game might be lower scoring. I might consider betting the under in this game. I know there's, there's also a trend where divisional rematches tend to go under, and this is the second time these two teams met. So, again, I, I think that that uh, total is a bit too high in this game. Yeah, I could certainly see that. It's nice that we get uh, Tyler Locke and DK Metcalf both practicing Wednesday. They were limited, mm -hmm. but the fact that they're practicing at all is a good sign with both guys dealing with injury. DK Metcalf says his knee is fine, made it through last week's game. So we should be able to confidently play those two guys in a matchup that doesn't scare for either one. Noah Fant limited Wednesday with his hamstring injury as well. Yeah, fans out, that could make Will Disley someone you use if you're now in, in bye week trouble at tight end. Um, it's a good matchup. Arizona 28th in fantasy points allowed 
to tight ends. Um, and not, not that you're going to sit DK Metcalf, but Arizona's now limited him in three straight games. Um, just two catches on seven targets for 34 yards earlier this season, just 31 scoreless yards and 58 scoreless yards in their two meetings last year. Tyler Lockett was the one that had the two big games against Arizona last season. So again, you're starting both of them. I actually prefer Tyler Lockett among the two this week. Oh yeah. Kenneth Walker, a little disappointing last week, but he did turn in an impressive touchdown run to save his fantasy days. RB 13 in our PPR rankings this week. So you're going to have to be in pretty good shape at running back to not play him in a given week going forward. Yeah. He did lose pass routes to Travis Homer last week who returned from a four game absence with injury. Um, So, you know, that, Puts a bit of a cap on Walker's uh, receiving ceiling going forward, but you know, he's, he's still going to get his you know, 15 to 20 carries per game. On the Arizona side, Kyler Murray has reached 20 fantasy points in just half of his games, two-plus touchdown passes in three of them, and that Seattle defense you alluded to, number two by DVOA over the past four weeks, number one over the past three weeks, stronger both versus the pass and the run. Yeah, they've been better, I think, as we've talked about even before we had those numbers. Now I don't think Seattle's a top three defense. I probably don't even think they're a top 10 defense going forward. I'm treating them as a neutral matchup at this point. I mean, they were horrible the first five games of the season. So I think you have to weigh both those things. Kyler finished uh, quarterback 12 in his week six meeting with um, Seattle, despite not throwing a touchdown pass, he ran for a hundred yards in that game. You obviously can't count on that going forward, but he, he has that upside and Kyler has been much better with DeAndre Hopkins over the past two weeks, 70% completion rate, 7.3 yards per attempt. That's up from a 65% completion rate and 5.8 yards per attempt over the first six games without DeAndre Hopkins. So I do expect Kyler to be a more productive passer going forward. 42 of those 100 receive, uh, rushing yards on one run in that game against Seattle. So we knock that out. It's almost half of his yards. Even the 6.4 yards per rush on the remaining nine runs still above the season average. So, you know, maybe there's something about the Seattle defense that allows Kyler Murray to run. I think... More than likely, that was a fluky game on the ground for him. He's still not somebody I believe in. Like I said, I think that he, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields are really all equal this week. I could see any of those three guys outperforming the other two or any of the three underperforming the other two because none of them is a safe bet to be awesome in a given week or a safe bet to just, you know, torpedo your team. Yep, that's fair. DeAndre Hopkins is a must at this point. Rondell Moore, Zach Ertz are the questions because DeAndre Hopkins is getting so many targets that it makes you wonder if he's leaving enough for everybody else. So what makes Moore a better bet for targets and catches than Ertz this week? Uh, I think he has a higher target share over the past two weeks, I believe. I'd have to look into it. I mean, I I think they're both like mid-range starters this week. Ertz mostly because of the matchup. Um, Seattle – 28th in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. They're still dead last in adjusted points allowed to tight ends. You know, that is the uh, Taysom Hill game still skewing that a bit, but it is a good matchup for Ertz. Now he has just 14 and 11% target shares the last two games since DeAndre Hopkins returned. He was, you know, up over 20% uh, before Hopkins played this season. And in three games with Hopkins last year, Ertz was at 15% as a Cardinals target. So I do think that's, you know, it's you know, still a five game sample. Could, could be wrong, but I think for now we should be projecting Ertz for more of that, you know, 15% target share than the 20% target share he was getting early on. Yeah, we have gotten favorable target counts for Rondell Moore since he's returned from injury. 8, 10, 2, and 8 the past four games. That 2 was that game where he was playing outside because they decided to set yep. A.J. Green and play <laughs> Greg Dortch inside. So it, it's a fine spot for both guys because of that matchup and because I do think that they'll need some passing volume against the defense that has been tough. I believe in the Seattle defense more than Jared does at this point. I consider it a negative matchup overall, but 
I think that they'll force, I think the team overall will force Arizona to throw the ball a bit more than it might plan to. And that those two guys will be okay in the range where we have them. Yeah. Moore was back in the slot for about 60% of his snaps. So I'd still like that to be 90%. Um, but I think, you know, 60 is good enough. He obviously had a big game against Minnesota and he caught six of 10 targets for 49 yards in the week six meeting against the Seahawks. I mean, is it that low because they're just not running that many three wide receiver sets though? I know, I know Hopkins is playing in the slot some too. Mm. Um, so that's, that's part of it. All right. Anything else from that game? Well, I guess the backfield, we should mention that James Conner, we got to see this week. He's limited in practice, but, you know, we don't know yet whether he's going to play because it's been that way for, I don't know. It seems like a long time at this point. Yeah, and Daryl Williams to IR. So, you know, if Conner does not play this week, you could, you know, count on, you know, Benjamin again seeing the vast majority of the backfield work. And then if Conner does play, I mean, I would think he returns as the lead guy. But I think, as I said last week, I think, you know, Benjamin probably plays a bit more than he was early on in the season. You know, Benjamin stunk in, as the lead back in the first matchup with Seattle, which is the which is what started that stretch of um, where Seattle has been a shutdown defense, really. Yep. All right. So now we're moving on from that game. We got the Rams at the Bucks. Bucks by three over under 42 and a half. Second smallest total of the week. Who would have guessed that coming into the season between the Rams and the Bucks? This should be a matchup where we're like, oh. Now we're going to get some points from our studs in this one. Instead, we get a game that is head of only the Patriots and Colts in terms of full game total. Cooper Cup, part of that, no practice Wednesday on his ankle injury. It sounds like he expects to play, but it's clearly limiting him to some degree. I'm mm-hmm. betting the under on Cooper Cup's yardage on underdog right now. Maybe it's come down from where it was when I did my article yesterday. Yeah, well, what's it at? I'd be, I'd be it was at like 95 and a half to open. Oh, I was like, well, that's take that. Yeah, that's that's like where it always is. They're not docking him at all from injury. That's surprising. I I uh, projected him lower than usual. Maybe even for eighty yards um, receiving this week. I do think I think he's going to play. I think he's going to be playing at less than one hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I would expect as well. So certainly he's in fantasy lineups, but uh, I don't think that it's a blow up spot for him. I'm not sure that the offense is good enough for the for that to like help somebody else because Allen Robinson's been fine. He was fine last week despite Van Jefferson coming back. And then Van Jefferson's return just meant he and Ben Skaronic played exactly the same amount. Yeah, no targets for Van Jefferson in that game. He did run a few more routes than Skaronic. Maybe that gap widens a bit going forward. You know, Van, you can stash him in deeper leagues. I wouldn't be starting him this week. A-Rob, 21% target share last week after 18% of the targets in the game before the Rams buy. So that's encouraging. It, you know, it still didn't result in much fantasy production last week because, you know, I don't think Robinson's that good at this point. This Rams offense is, is so bad. Underdog has removed Cooper Cup's line, by the way. So uh, let that be so hard. so hard. They had to take it down. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would I would take him down, too. I was kind of surprised it was up there. But, hey, yeah. you know, let let me use that to plug checking out the article on Wednesday morning before they have a chance to move the lines up or down um, and take any players away. So every every Wednesday, free article, top plays in underdog pickums on DraftSharks.com. Check it out. We've been doing pretty well. You can also look in any of the articles any week to, to track exactly how I've been doing week by week. I've got, you know, the record for the picks that we highlighted in that article, which is just comparing our projections for the week versus the yardage lines on underdog and looking at the biggest gaps between them. Cam Akers returning to the team to practice today, Thursday, as we're speaking. So we'll see what that means for him over the weekend. It sounds like they would like for him to play in this game. Neither side has much else to do besides make up and play out the season. Kyron Williams also might be ready this week. So I think Jared, this is just going to ultimately be a backfield that doesn't help us a whole lot because I don't see a leader in it. 
No, I have no idea. I mean, Ronnie Rivers led the way. Ronnie freaking Rivers led the way last week. Um, and, 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 of course, he did nothing because he's a undersized, undrafted rookie behind a battle line. I, I, I want nothing to do with this back. If Akers plays, it just makes it easier to avoid. And Rivers is probably the only one that I would say don't bother owning him right now. I think last week it was because Daryl Henderson was sick. Um, he didn't practice at all leading up to it. Uh, but, yeah, it's a backfield I would rather not be invested in at all. On the Bucks side, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, no practice Wednesday. Chris Godwin was actually the only of the top uh, four <laughs> Bucks wide receivers to put in a full practice that day. So what a what, look how far we've come here. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a long season. Things things change. I still have some faith in this Bucks passing game getting going. Tom Brady leads the NFL in pass attempts, pass completions, passing yards. He's 17th in passing touchdowns. So he just has some positive regression coming in that department. That, that will obviously help Mike Evans and Chris Gobbin. You're starting those guys anyways. Um, Julio scored the touchdown late last week, but only got the four targets. His, his routes were like in the, in the like 55%. Um, I think he's going to be the number three guy going forward, but I don't think he's going to be usable in fantasy. I have faith that this pass offense can get back to being okay. I don't think that it's going to get anywhere close to what we were hoping it was going to be heading into the season. The offensive line is clearly much worse than it was last year, and they've lost some guys along the way to help explain that. But when you combine you know, how often Tom Brady is under pressure with how poorly the running game is performing, it's clear that the blocking is not what it once was. Um, you know, certainly still starting Chris Godwin, certainly still starting Mike Evans, not looking for a whole lot beyond that. And I think Tom Brady will ultimately be okay. Cameron Brait was also back for limited practice dealing with a neck injury. So I think if he's back, he is probably the play over Kate Otten in a spot where I would hope to not use either. Yeah. I think neither is playable. Um, I would not be surprised if Otten maintains a significant role, maybe even still, you know, is, is the more, more involved as a pass catcher than Cam Brait, but, um, you know, we'd, we'd have to at least see a week of it before we could consider using either guy. Tennessee at Kansas City on Sunday night. We got the Chiefs by 12 over under 46 and a half. Ryan Tannehill limited Wednesday on his ankle. He says he's still dealing with pain, says he might be ready to play in the game. Anybody who catches passes for a living in Tennessee would like to see Ryan Tannehill back <laughs> because they attempted, I think, 10 of them against Houston last week with Malik Willis back there. Yeah, and like seven of, of those 10 attempts were ugly. Um, you know, Willis obviously isn't ready yet, so you know, the Titans need Tannehill back if they want to have any, any chance to win this game. It's obviously going to be a Derrick Henry-centric game plan. Regardless, Chiefs kind of a middling run defense. They're 17th in football outsiders, DVOA, uh, 22nd in adjusted points allowed to running backs. The, the one other guy I have here is a possibility just because all the bye weeks is Robert Woods. Um, he's seen a 27% target share in his last four games with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, that hasn't resulted in a ton of volume because the, you know, the Titans don't throw it a whole lot. But if they do fall behind in this game and Tannehill does have to throw it you know, 35 times, you could get you know, 8 to 10 targets out of Robert Woods. Yep, I can go along with that. On the Kansas City side, somebody in my Football Guys Players Championship League, Jared, bid $475 out of the $1,000 <laughs> bank for Kadarius Tony. I think that's a little bit of an overspend. <laughs> Probably. It's, it's late in the year, though. You got you to gotta spend that money somewhere. I don't think it's on Kadarius Tony. I think like if I were doing that this week, I would rather buy Deion Jackson for it than Kadarius Tony. I get the talent for him. I get that they gave up something to acquire him, but I can't see a ceiling higher than third pass catcher on this team. And that's just not somebody that you're going to be starting with confidence in most fantasy leagues. I mean, I, I think, I think talent wise, he's the most talented receiver on the roster now, whether, 
that means he takes over as the lead wide receiver at some point this season. Who who knows? I think it's probably unlikely just having to learn a brand new offense midseason. Um, Tony, by the way, is not even on this week's injury report. So I don't know what was going on. Miraculous. With the, you know, alleged hamstring stuff in New York. But it does sound like he's going to play on Sunday night. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can use him, but you know, we'll, we'll see how big a role he plays. And he, he might be usable you know, as early as next week if he, you know, is even like the third wide receiver in terms of routes on uh, Sunday night. Yeah. I would like to remind people that if we look back to last year, Josh Gordon was one of the most talented wide receivers on the roster, only not number one because Tyreek Hill was still on the team at that point. A, a little different, you know, Gordon, a guy in his late twenties, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a speculative ad for Kadir. So there was also a report that KC was uh, like interested in acquiring him back in the summer too. Like they've obviously had their eyes on this guy for a while. Yeah, they also moved up in the draft to take Nicole Hardman. So we'll see where this goes. All I'm saying for Tony is I'm not betting that he's making a fantasy difference this year. Certainly somebody worth stashing. Uh, it was a funny spend to me. But yeah, I, I didn't check the bank. If the person still had all $1,000 left, fine. But I think that the next highest bid on him was something like 60 <laughs> Ooh, Man, I I went, I went around 100 in a few leagues where he was available. That didn't even get him. Um, he went in like uh, closer to 200 in the leagues I'm in. All right. I don't think there's too much to talk about fantasy wise. Nobody's playing Tony this week. You probably are playing Juju. Obviously Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes are not worth discussing. The backfield is messy and this matchup is pass funneling. Tennessee is tough on the run and weak on the pass. So we only need to look back before last week's bye to see a game where Kansas city faced just that kind of dichotomy and mm-hmm. chose to throw the ball despite being despite winning a game by three touchdowns. Yeah, Tennessee's first in both football outsiders, run defense, DVOA, and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So, yeah, I would expect a super pass-heavy game plan from the Chiefs here. I, we'll see what, what the backfield looks like coming out of the bye. Like, we'll see what Andy Reid kind of decides to do going forward. I would try not to use uh, any of those three guys this week. Judas Smith-Schuster, like, you can start him. I think he's a fine wide receiver three going forward, and this matchup is fine. You know, he had two big games prior to the bye. Still saw just 13 total targets in those two games for a 17% target share. Across those two weeks, he was third among wide receivers in half PPR points, 54th in expected half PPR points. So his usage really did not change. He just happened to, you know, break off a couple of big plays, score a couple touchdowns. Yep, I would definitely be trying to trade him. If you haven't already, but Baltimore at new Orleans on Monday night to close things out here, Ravens by two and a half over under 48. And this is a game where we're going to have to wait on some injury reports. And it's on both sides yeah. of this one. We're waiting on Gus Edwards. We're waiting on Mark Andrews. Um, we will start to see today. We're talking at one seventeen at the moment on Thursday afternoon. So those are yet to come. It seems like we should probably not expect Gus Edwards to play in this game. What about Mark Andrews? Yeah, Andrews, I, I, I don't, I don't have a guess on. Um, he has it's his shoulder and ankle. There were a couple injuries that uh, Harbaugh mentioned. The shoulder we had known about. Yeah, shoulder and ankle injuries, um, and a bye coming up next week. So I think there's a decent chance they hold Mark Andrews out. That would make Isaiah likely a fantasy option. The matchup's horrible. Uh, the Saints are first in adjusted points allowed to tight ends and first in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. Isaiah likely ran her out on 88 percent of the pass plays after. Mark Andrews exited last week. 
uh, drew seven targets for an 18% target share. Uh, and we're not going to have Rashad Bateman this week either. So like Isaiah likely might be the favorite to lead the Ravens in targets if Mark Andrews sits. He's at least as good a bet as either Devin Duvernay or Demarcus Robinson. I'd feel pretty comfortable using Isaiah likely if there's no Mark Andrews in this game. And Devin Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson are going to be in play because that's where we're at with the Baltimore offense right now. So, you know, those guys are worth rostering in certain places. Before we get too far away from Kadarius Tony, Dave Gladstone <laughs> on YouTube she told us that Kadarius Tony went for $843 in one of those um, football guys leagues on FFPC last night. It's, it's always funny. I always enjoy seeing those kinds of things. Um, I know that uh, fantasy mojo does a lot of tracking of the spending on waiver wires in these FFPC leagues, you know, crazy stuff in there. It depends on your needs. It is getting later in the season. You got money yeah. burning. And fantasy football is supposed to be fun. It's to me, it's fun to own. Kadarius Tony, the chief, and just see what happens the rest of the season. <laughs> Owning Kadarius Tony to this point has not been anything close <laughs> to fun. So I would, I would just warn you to keep that in mind as you play the fun side of it. On the other side of the Monday night matchup, we got the Saints who are waiting on injury reports for Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, or maybe we're waiting on them. They're going to be generating them. We'll see if either of those guys is back. Yeah. And I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about this offense until we know that. Head coach Dennis Allen said last week that he had no timetable for either of those guys. He said he expects both them to play again this season, which like, okay, but that doesn't make it sound like they're anywhere close to returning. So I'm not expecting them to play. That means Chris Olave again is going to see a big percentage of this team's targets. He, he kind of disappointed last week. Still saw a 23% target share in that game. He, he's a good value in bat. This matchup is fine. Yeah. And then beyond that, it's the obvious Alvin Kamara is starting for everybody. You try not to play the tight ends. Andy Dalton is somebody that you can use in Taylor Heineke range. If I were deciding between Andy Dalton and Taylor Heineke, I would decide to buy more Advil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dalton's problem is just the Saints continue to go. So run heavy. The volume just hasn't been there for him. You know, there's a chance they fall behind in this game. And he has to throw more and he should have success. He's been, he's been decent when he has had to throw, um, but you know, they've just been wanting to lean on Alvin Kamara in the run game. He's been decent as long as the Cardinals aren't on the other side of the line too. <laughs> well, that, that was his one big fantasy game. His, his, yeah. he's finished quarterback 17 or worse in fantasy points in his other four games. Maybe he's quarterback two that week because he threw those pick sixes. That's right. As long if you're starting Andy <laughs> Dalton this week, what you're hoping is That's... that he starts out the game horrible. <laughs> Although fantasy, but... if that happened again, I, I, I would have to imagine he gets yanked as opposed to yeah. getting a chance to yes. score all those points coming back. That, that is, yeah, that is if you're weighing Dalton versus these other types, I, you do think he has a better chance to get pulled than uh, most of those other guys. Yeah, Jameis Winston's back healthy now. He's just sitting behind the red rifle. That's going to do it for this week nine preview edition of the podcast. You become a DS insider today. You can see exactly how we rank all these guys against each other. You can see all the projections so you can pick out your own favorites on underdog on sleeper if you're playing the over-unders you can also find our fourth buy sell hold report of the season that hit the site wednesday that's only for ds insiders as is jared's weekly usage report with these route rates and playing time numbers for all the guys in every offense you can find some free stuff i mentioned my underdog pickums article that's up every wednesday that's sitting on the site right now it's won a whole lot more than it's lost so far. And you can find Tenny Hernandez's pass rate over expected. That's a pretty one to look at because it's got all the <laughs> logos. It's got the bar chart. So go check that one out. And you'll learn some about offenses around the league. You can also visit the links at the bottom of this podcast to support some of those who are our partners in this whole deal. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. <laughs>